Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast, in which I'm joined in this episode by an amazing guy that we've just been talking before this recording started, because uh, like me, you know, he's got some land, and we've talked about ranchers, and we've talked about space, and we've talked about Tony Robbins and all kinds of other things. But I'm joined today by Martin Tobias, and Martin is a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist who has also invested directly in over 200 companies as an individual investor, over 30 running his own venture fund, Incisive Ventures, half a dozen as a venture partner at a major major, VC firm, and is a limited partner in over a dozen other VC funds. So we're in good company today, listeners. Martin has been a venture-funded CEO three times, and raised a staggering excess of $500 million, including taking two companies public. Uh, as I said, he currently lives in a ranch in Spokane, uh, Washington, where he's married with three daughters and enjoys mountain biking. I didn't realize that, actually, as I, I read that. So we're both into mountain bike as well, so that's great. Surfing, tried it, couldn't stay on the board. My balance isn't very good, which is why I do skiing, not snowboarding and working on motorcycles in his spare time. So, uh, Martin, you'll see, listeners, you can't see it, but I've got a couple of motorcycling images behind me there as well. So motorcycles are my thing, although race motorcycles uh, are my thing. So Mm -hmm. really glad to have you on today's podcast. Welcome, Martin. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. So there's quite a few things in there that we're going to talk through as as we go through. mountain biking so just give me a bit of an idea before we start talking about the the coffee from a mountain biking point of view is there lots of that around you is that something that you have to travel to do or can you literally just go out the back door into the backyard and do some mountain biking i can go out right out, right on my land and do my own mountain biking i put in a, a few trails i had some guys come over and build some berms and some jumps and stuff uh-huh. like that so i, yeah. I, ha- I have it there uh, but there's also very good mountain biking. There's a, a big community here in the Northwest um, yeah. and they build them in, in different trails and you can drive even 10, 20 minutes and have some uh, amazing uh, trail systems with that are all rated like green, red, black, and yeah, yeah. Um, all, all different things like that. So I like it. Uh, I, I got into biking um, more in the last 10 years because I used to do crazy like triathlons and running and swimming and biking and all of that. But uh, I injured my knee from overuse in the running. Um, and I had a patella tendon injury and the doctors are like, you can either keep running and blow out your knees or you can stop running. <laughs> so I switched pretty much exclusively Psycho. to biking. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I love road biking too. But in the last three years since I moved to Spokane, because I have the land, I got a lot more into mountain biking um, yeah. and, you know, upgraded my mountain bike, got a 29 or a full suspension and all this crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. I spent a week last year in um, Bentonville, Arkansas. And if you're a mountain biker, that's like Mecca. Um, they have they have probably 
four or 500 miles of manufactured trails. It's all the Walton really? of the Walmart people's uh, grandkids yeah. are crazy about mountain biking and they're building a mile a week of new trails there. And oh, it's incredible. absolutely incredible. So I, yeah. I've really gone crazy about it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very fortunate where we live too. Uh, I'm very close to Sherwood Forest and yeah, I can literally go 200 probably 300 yards just across the, the road out of our village and you're into Sherwood Forest. And it sounds very grand. You know, when you tell people that live outside the UK about Sherwood Forest, they expect this huge forest. It's not actually that big. It's more of a little wood now because <laughs> uh, it's just been chopped down. But likewise, in the last probably 10 years, they've taken some amazing trails through the forest and they've extended it and they've connected it to different trails across some of the Peak District and uh, which are more hills than mountains. But uh, yeah, there's some great yeah. trails here as well. So yeah, I'm very fortunate where I live as well. So that's great. And a lot of the railway, I don't know about you over there, but we take a lot of disused railway trails and seem to turn those into connections between areas where you can go mountain biking as well, which is great. Yeah, they did that here too. Those yeah. tend to be a little flatter and paved. They're not the dirt yeah. trails. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but usually we use them to connect different places. Yeah. So we're different parts of the forest. So that's great. So we, we're drinking coffee today, which is mm. always good news and music to my ears. You told me what you're drinking. So tell, tell the listeners a little bit about what you're drinking and why, because you gave me a little bit of an insight that this yeah. isn't just a drink that you like to drink. You drink it because you actually know somebody involved and you know, created yeah. this. So I'm drinking Bulletproof Coffee, and Bulletproof Coffee um, was invented by Dave Asprey, and it's got some um, um, coconut oil, some, some C8, actually, um, oil and butter in it. And uh, it's basically a hack to um, fill you up and keep you full and keep you in ketosis as you do your intermittent, intermittent fasting uh, yeah. in the morning. And I intermittent fast every day until you know, lunch about one or, or two o'clock. Uh, and um, so that's the kind of coffee I drink every morning. And um, it's, I, I, I love it. But my question to you was, you know, why, why do you ask about <laughs> coffee? Because uh, there's many people that are kind of off coffee these days, but um, I've read all the studies about the polyphenols in coffee and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I'm a big fan of it. And especially the functional coffee, like Bulletproof, that gives you something else in addition to the caffeine, the you know, good fats to um, build ketosis and things like that. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of things that this is going to lead into. I can I can tell you now. But the first one is the reason. So when I was traveling to Spain uh, many, many years ago, I, I decided that, as I always do, I want to speak the language of the place that I'm going to, at least to be able to hold a, a little bit of a conversation with somebody in a bar or in a store or something <laughs> like that. And I searched for Spanish lessons. And the thing that came up, and I'm going back a, a long, long time ago, you know, it's got to be 15, 16 years ago, was a podcast. And podcasts really weren't a thing then. I mean, they've, they've exploded during the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But the podcast was called Coffee Break Spanish. Mm. And the idea was it was 15, 20 minutes of conversation or Spanish lessons that you could take in your coffee break. Perfect. And when I decided to uh, start my own podcast, I mean, we're, we're recording now, you know, episodes went to 140s and we've only been doing it 12 months. The, I tried to think, what is it that spurned me to listen to that podcast? And it was the, the short duration and it was that different style 
of the podcast rather than just being a teaching podcast or just Mm -hmm. a lesson podcast. There was a little bit of conversation in there. So I thought, perfect. So I couldn't call it coffee break business. That Mm -hmm. would already taken. So it was yeah, business success and coffee. So that's well, that's why the coffee. (laughs) And I happen to I happen to like coffee as well. So it was a plus. Yeah. Uh, when I when I first started doing when I started doing a lot more investments about three years ago, I went really deep uh, down the rabbit hole of coffee gadgets. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife about killed me because I bought probably 50 different coffee gadgets. I just got a new one the other day, a cold press coffee maker. And I actually got very close to buying uh, the AeroPress company because um, yeah, yeah. that's one of the coffee making things that I like. But I went you know, between the pour overs and the espresso and all those different kinds of things. And, uh, um, and um, fellow, uh, which is my new coffee gadget, that they make this beaker and um, have their grinder. Um, I ended up not investing in uh, Indian coffee other than bulletproof coffee. I'm an investor in that company. Um, But coffee is great business. I remember I went I I bought Starbucks uh, stock when it went public. And I called a friend of mine the day it went public. I said, should I buy this company? And he says, Martin, they're selling a legal addictive drug. <laughs> oh, and it's one of my favorites as well. So uh, <laughs> I said, OK. Yeah. <laughs> and it's been a great investment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting what you said there about the machines, because certainly for the UK listeners, um, we're big KitchenAid fans. So sure. we have the KitchenAid blender, the, the slow mm-hmm. cooker. And my wife got me to buy a KitchenAid Nespresso machine. Okay. And most Nespresso machines here in the UK are about £100. And this thing was like five or £600 for this oh, Nespresso yeah. machine. And at the time, I thought, why on earth am I spending this kind of money? But since the lockdown came, that machine has earned its value a hundred times over. It has delivered coffee without exception, without fault on, on a, on a scale that I never would have dreamed of whilst I've been working from home during lockdowns and the pandemic. So yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm a big KitchenAid fan, but in particular the Nespresso and it's the old fashioned Nespresso pods that I use as well, which is great. I like I like those. I uh, I actually employed a, um, a, a, a as a CTO one time a guy who used to be the head of hardware for Starbucks, mm-hmm. and I went down a huge rabbit hole with him on all the different components. And he had done all the studies because he they went through and they said, okay, like what metal do you make the um, you know the 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 the, the motor uh, out of what kind of tubing do you use? And they did all the chemical analysis to see what you know added flavor or took a flavor away from the water and the quality mm-hmm. of the grind. I mean, like super nerdy details about all of this. And it turns out that when you spend more money, like you did, I think I don't know in particular the um, the KitchenAid one, but you get better quality. Uh, you know, yeah. components to the thing, um, it actually, you can taste the flavor difference and you can taste um, the difference in the, the coffee when you spend a little more money. And he went through all the, you know, physical properties and the materials and the reasons yeah. for leaching of between components and stuff like that. Uh, and that also got me into spending a little more on my coffee things because yeah. um, there's there's actual science behind why the coffee tastes oh, better from a more sense. My, my wife would love hearing that. Just justified it, it in her mind as well. So that's great. It's true. It's not just brand. 
Yeah. So, so I want to talk on, on something else that you mentioned there and you mentioned fasting. Okay. And, and this is quite, you know, off topic really for, for this podcast, but one of the things I, I love to do um, three or four times a year, I love to fast. Yeah. We were talking about Tony Robbins earlier on. And when I went to the first Unleash the Power Within, yeah, I, I changed my eating habits and the health difference it's made to me. You know, my wife became a vegetarian because of that. And, uh, you know, I eat very, very little meat and very little fish. But one of the things I do love to do uh, is to actually fast. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned ketosis there. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've just finished a 21 day complete food fast where it's been fluids only. 21 days. Wow. 21 days. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, the energy it gives you, you know, as long as you, the fluids are okay and you know, you're looking after yourself and you're taking the medical advice and you're keeping, as you say, those, those key ingredients that you need to take in for a fluid point of view. Um, the energy it gave me, I, I had my best Peloton ride ever at about day 18. The, you oh, know, wow, it was the best performance. I mean, you think, really? You've not eaten anything for 18 days. Your, your energy level's there. And it's, I always think it's a bit like turning the computer off and rebooting it. It's my way of getting rid of my sugar addiction and just rebooting my body and getting it restarted on a, on a better footing. Uh, and, and I'm interested, as you said, you know, obviously the fasting that you do is, is there any particular reason behind it? You know, anything you want to share with listeners about fasting, because it's a, it's a topic always fascinates me. Yeah. Well, I, I'm always fa- completely fascinated with, uh, you know, how robust um, and scalable the body is. Um, for, I'm sure most people know that the body has two ways to make uh, energy, to, to, to power energy, create the ATP energy that your cells need mm-hmm. to run. And one is through the sugar cycle where it converts glucose into uh, ATP. And the other is in the ketosis cycle where it converts fats into ATP. So your body has actually two different fuel sources it can use. And the vast majority of us are using glucose almost all the time because of of that. But what happens when you fast is that basically after roughly about 24 hours, you start switching into this ketosis thing. And it turns out that, for example, your brain works much better on uh, on the fat uh, burning cycle. And um, so your body is completely comfortable um, burning the fat, whether it's your fat or whether like in Bulletproof case, what it does is it gives you some more dietary fat. So it creates nutritional ketosis and starts that, uh, process. Um, but I do it not so much for, uh, weight management or anything like that, but to your point to just give the body's metabolism, uh, an exercise to switching uh, over into this. And if you think back in the past with all of the people, you know, people talking about paleo and all of these kind of things, um, humans used to not be very well fed. They used to intermittent fast because they couldn't kill a lion or whatever. Right. And so they were, the body was constantly switching and there's all sorts of metabolic benefits to how your body works and how hormones are created and stuff like that by having that switch happen on a regular basis. And most people never get that switch happening. And this is the underlying cause of many, many uh, diseases. So I do it mostly for the autophagy uh, because it promotes uh, weak cell death and, um, you know, for the the maintenance aspects of just switching the body and getting the body used to that kind of switch. Yeah. And you're right. You know, when I first did it, you know, it was quite, quite a challenge, but it, it, it is so sure. much easier now. And it's interesting you say that because the concentration level, your focus, 
Mm -hmm. your ability to actually stop and think goes through the roof through the roof if you do any kind of meditating or anything like that you know whatever that is whatever your faith is that absolutely clarity and laser focus is is there three days i I usually find three days you you it's just like somebody wipes a a fog away from from you yeah yeah incredible I, I haven't done a 21 day or uh, yet every month at the first of the month, I do a three day fast. Um, yeah. Maybe you, you've laid down the gauntlet. Maybe I'll do a longer <laughs> one. My wife likes it because she has to cook less food. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife likes it because she said the shopping bill has gone way, way. Yeah, the shopping bill yeah. Goes <laughs> but I always do the 21 day, usually after Christmas, because Christmas oh. usually has some kind of overindulgence. So yeah, sure. it, it follows that. And that's why I do 21 days. But like you, normally I do three to 10 days sometimes, you know, between the years. So yeah, I love that. So yeah, who, who knew we'd be talking about that in today's <laughs> podcast? Uh, and, and listeners, you know, as always, do your research. And if you are even thinking about doing any kind of fasting, make sure you take medical advice and, uh, you know, you consult your physician uh, and any kind of medical advisor about that as well. Absolutely. So, Martin, thinking about your your own business and your own um, sort of ventures over recent times, what would you say has been something that's been significant or something that you've like to share with listeners that you've been working on? Um, well, so when the pandemic started, I was living in LA. And as we talked about, I moved up to my ranch here in Spokane, decided to focus on investing full time again. And, um, you know, so now I'm running my own venture fund and doing my own direct investing. But and one of the things I and because now I don't have a company, I've been CEO where I've had 500 employees. Now it's just myself. And one of the biggest things I've learned is, you know, how to leverage uh, software tools and automation um, to do a lot more um, on my on my own. And uh, there are some amazing tools uh, out there today to help people get things done faster. We scheduled this um, call using mm. Calendary, and that's been a, a, a great time saver these days. And um, so it's really just, uh, you know, a lot of le- leverage of uh, software tools. There's some amazing tools to help with networking, to help with workflow and getting things done. Uh, I went down the rabbit hole of Rome Research, which is a note-taking application. Um, yeah. But uh, there, there, there's just so many uh, leverageable software tools out there today. Um, you know, I started investing by myself about two years ago. I now run a syndicate of over 3,000 people and that invest in startups and um, AngelList is the back office for that. And they helped me find probably 2,700 of those LPs. These are people that I now invest with, uh, most of which I haven't known, haven't met personally, but um, I have met because of this service, uh, AngelList helps connect investors to other investors. Um, there, there, it's a bill, it, you can grow things much faster at a much lower marginal cost today than you could ever before it's really a great time to be an entrepreneur of any sort i completely agree and it's so accessible to so many of us and not just accessible from a cost point of view um yeah you mentioned notes you know one of the best apps for i'm very much a mac fan uh, mm-hmm. sorry listeners if anybody's listening to this who's a pc because i know we're very opposing sometimes <laughs> but uh I, it's because i work with apple i have to work, use Macs, but I use an app called GoodNotes, and that has changed the way that I take notes and the way I keep notes of clients. I track notes. 
I download PDFs and just scribble over the top of them rather than having to print them out and write over them. So it's, it's always very, very difficult to um, work out which of these to use, but they're so accessible, not only for cost, but they're also accessible uh, in the ability to be able to use them as well. They're so much more intuitive now than what they have been in the past. Yeah, yeah. So from a point of view of what difference that has made, you know, has it been an efficiency? Has it been more time? What kind of difference would you say that has has made? Um, you know, it, it's it's really, you know, about um, access. So the venture capital business, investment business that, that, that I'm in, it used to be even five years ago, a, a very geographically constrained local thing. You know, you were a yep. member of your local angel network, you would go to the lunches, you'd see companies, they'd come in and pitch in person. And really, you know, it was something that people felt like they had to do uh, in person. Uh, when the pandemic started, everybody got stuck on Zoom. So, you know, some people complained about that. But what that did is that opened up the uh, opportunity for companies to talk to investors anywhere in the world and for investors to talk to companies anywhere in the world. In the last two years, I've invested in sort of 35 companies, uh, 35, 40 percent of them are in India. And I live in Northwest United States. I would have never seen companies in India, would have never been able to do that. Um, uh, I couldn't finish the diligence on them. I couldn't meet the CEO. I couldn't uh, you know, download their app. But now um, with some of these digital communication tools, um, I can do that. And uh, more importantly, I can network uh, very easily with other um, investors. So, for example, there's this one tool that I use that you upload your contacts and uh, it says, oh, you want to meet somebody at this company? Well, here's your path through to talk to that person. And um, that's now very easy to find. So one of my companies um, that I invested in last year, uh, I was the first check in. Uh, they started to explode and they wanted to meet investors at a tier one VC like Tiger Index and all these other ones. And I knew I knew people there, but I didn't on the top of my mind. Remember, I put it in this tool and they said, oh, here's the way you talk to those three people. Okay. And I was able to reintroduce and reacquaint myself with those people that I already knew very easily because this software helped point out in my network where to go. And that process took about five minutes. Uh, rather than, you know, searching through emails and trying yeah, yeah. to find, you know, who did I talk to at that company? <laughs> and I think when you can find that direct route as well, how much time you spend waiting for that ghosted reply, isn't it, as well? Because you send yeah. a message. You know, how many of us send a message on LinkedIn or we send a message via email, as you said, and then you sit there and you wait and it disappears into all the yeah. other noise that's out there, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the tools yeah. that will remind you uh, about that now and happen faster. So I, I'm, I'm able to introduce companies to other investors faster to make business development things, to make connections with other, you know, CEOs and other companies, just everything's faster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course, if it's faster, it's more efficient. So you get more time to either do more or to have mm -hmm. more time for yourself as well. And I think, one thing that's come out again out of this pandemic, I think people's priorities over their work-life balance have certainly shifted. Right. I've seen it with lots of different guests that I've had and we've spoken about it outside of these sessions. And people definitely have changed their perspective of what's important in their life. And I think, you know, we've seen a global shift in that uh, as well.
Definitely. So if you could perhaps direct people how to find out more about you, how to connect with you, you've given us an idea of how you connect to other people. Uh, mm -hmm. How do people reach out to you? And what kind of people would you like to speak to or like to reach out to and, and have conversations with? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm one of these people that left Facebook. And so I'm not on Facebook. I hate that. Uh, mm -hmm. The best pla place to find me is on Twitter. Um, I'm okay. Martin G. Tobias. Uh, I write, I post all my investment memos there. And, um, you know, people oh, can follow me and direct message me there. Also on my uh, blog for my um, venture capital company at uh, incisive.vc. Um, one of the things I do there is write a blog and talk about the trends that I'm following and investing in and where I'm putting my money. And I found that a lot of people appreciate uh, that uh, perspective. And frankly, you know, if you agree with it, uh, you're welcome to join my syndicate or one of my venture funds. And if you don't agree with it, you're welcome to go spend your money somewhere else. Um, yeah, but the, the blog and Twitter are the best places uh, to find me. Yeah. And it's interesting because you know, when I first started out as a coach and I, I exited some of the businesses that I had and became a coach, I would say 60% plus of my lead generation came from Twitter. Mm -hmm. And now it's just about zero. Uh, and I found Twitter very good for signposting people to events or to other areas. And uh, yeah, it's, it's become a real shift for me. So, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook are, are more my thing purely because that's where the pool of prospects and interest mm -hmm. is that I'm looking at. Um, but the blog is, is intriguing. Now, I'm going to ask a question live in the, in the podcast now, but, you know, I send out a, an e-newsletter e every couple of weeks and I always like to have a guest blog, blog and I'd love to have yours and just reference your blog if I'm if I'm able to do that because I always like to signpost people to other great blogs. So if it's okay with you, I'll take a look and I'll message you later and see if we can we can. Yeah, do that. sure. I I just wrote something. Um, I, I tend to write a lot about you know how the early stage tech investor should do, and I just wrote something called the Great Asset Repricing again. Oh, right. And okay. a, a lot of my LPs because we're investing early you know, saw the crash that happened in the stock market and said, you know, what's going on? Is this the end of the party? You know, are we all done here? And what should I do as an early stage investor? And so I wrote that because I've been through the crash of 2000 and 2008, and I've been through these yeah. cycles. If you've been investing over a long period of time, these things come in cycles and it's very um, important to remember that a lot of new yeah. investors see some short-term market fluctuations and think the sky is falling. <laughs> and exactly. uh, the reality is that these, that, that, you know, the valuation of an asset is what somebody's worth uh, willing to pay for it. There's no, you know, true, you know, fixed value for anything. And it has a lot to do with sentiment. So anyway, I explained a lot about that. And that's one of the things I do on my blog is explain to people a lot the context of, of what's going on and how to think a little bit longer term uh, about investments versus the, the short term, um, you know, reds you see on the screen or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're talking here, obviously, about people who are investing uh, in business. Yeah. If you could give any tips or any direction to people who are looking for investment. So one of the, the, the sectors I work with here in the UK are tech businesses that are looking to get investor or sale ready. And I'm always intrigued to tell 
the businesses what they should do? Because investors very often are looking for different things. What would you share to those that are perhaps listening to this who are either now or in the future going to be looking to attract investment? Uh, thank you for reminding me about that because uh, that's the second thing. I do want to talk to entrepreneurs who are solving some uh, important problem. And what I would say is I want to talk to entrepreneurs who are solving a personal problem that is so imp more important than air to them. It has to be uh. a real passionate fucking problem that they've thought about for a long time and that they have come up with a unique, uh, hopefully protectable uh, solution for. And they have to understand that they are, uh, that there are lots of obstacles to come and that the obstacles are not the problem. <laughs> it is, yeah. it, it is your dedication to that. You have to have a huge above average uh, dedication uh, to solving the problem. And that only comes from that problem being very personal. If I'm in a pitch with an entrepreneur and they show me a Gartner market chart saying this part of the market is attractive because of all of these trends, I will say no to that investor because that person is using yeah. an external measurement for why he's interested in that company or, or in that solving that problem. What I want to hear from the entrepreneur is why is this problem personal to you? Why are you the best person on the planet to solve this problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there's there's a connection there. We were talking before the recording started about my uh, story of Tony Robbins and going to see him, and the reason for that. And yeah, that is one of the reasons I do this podcast. And that connection of that story and that person inside that story is so so important. And I love the way you say that. More important than air. Yeah. And if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that's the base level there, isn't it? So when you're getting down to that level, there's a passion there that is almost primeval, isn't it? You, you really have to have that to be successful over time um, in, 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 in a startup because the, the world's going to throw so many things at, at it. And, and I also need to see entrepreneurs, you know, prove that, that they can go through that, that level of obstacles and that they have a resilience practice. One of the things, for example, I almost never invest in CEOs who don't have some sort of resilience practice like meditation or working out or some way to reboot themselves because the reality is you're going to get the stress poured on your head uh, you know, in, in extra quantities. And if you don't have some way to stay stable through that environment over time, um, you know, you're going to uh, give up. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And, and I'm sure some of the listeners will be sort of relating to that. But, you know, sometimes we get kicked down and then sometimes people just come along, keep kicking us when we're down. And yeah, you know, that's, that's the moment, isn't it? You know, getting down and getting straight back up again is one thing, but actually having that tenacity to take that punishment and then get up and get through it and have those, um, those tactics that you talked about there is that, really important. That, yeah. That's why I say you've got to want it more than air because when someone kicks you down, if you want it more than air, you're going to get back up and keep going. You're not going to give up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, from a point of view of the, the investor then, mm -hmm. uh, and obviously you said you've got this network of, of 3000 people, you know, and I've invested in tech businesses and other businesses over the years. Um, sometimes for me, it's very personal 
as well. It's something mm-hmm. that I have a cause about or mm-hmm. I've got a, a passion about. What else would you say to perhaps somebody that is an investor that's listening to this that perhaps is thinking for the first time, should I do it or where do I start? You've mentioned angels list. You've mentioned syndicates. Now, I know lots of people mm-hmm. who are members of syndicates. Where would you say to somebody who's perhaps just on the edge and just stepping out for that first time? Um, you know, I would say join a platform like AngelList where you can and you know join your local angel investor uh, group. Mm. I'm sure there's one wherever you are and just get to know other people. And when you are uh, writing checks, I would say only write the checks. And th- these are the two things. I have a, a blog post on my uh, website called my meta themes. There's seven themes that I invest in. And uh, one of them is I only invest where I can be helpful. And in this environment, there's, it's basically very easy for startups to raise money. There's more money uh, chasing startups than there are startups. And so it's, it, money is a bit of a commodity. And um, if you have money and are thinking to write a check, the question you have to ask yourself is why, is that, why should this CEO take my money? And they should take it because you can be helpful. You, you have thought about this problem before. There are ways that there are reasons for you to be an investor in this company. And I would say, I would encourage investors to not think about what their potential return is on an investment, but to think mm-hmm. how can they personally um, help this company? Um, and if they can't find a way that they can personally help that company, whether it's with their network or, you know, introducing them to other investors or whatever, you should not be investing in that company. Uh, you should be investing where it aligns with uh, values and missions that you have, but also where your network and your you, you can help this company, because that will actually increase the value of your investment. If you just invest in a category that you don't know anything about in hopes that you're going to make a financial return, the likelihood that that's going to happen is low because you're not doing anything other than writing a check. Yeah. I would encourage yeah. investors to focus on putting their money into places where they can add value in addition to their money. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really important point that I just want to sort of just digging a bit deeper to, because I work with so many tech businesses in particular and other businesses that are looking for investment they want the money, but very often they say, I want the money, but I don't want somebody who's going to meddle. I don't want somebody mm-hmm. who's going to want an input. And that is so wrong because that's where the real value of that investment is, isn't it? Because as you say, these people that are investing in business are so connected. And if they have that passion, they can elevate that whole energy of the business by right. being involved in it, can't they? They, they can. And, and I understand that because I've been a CEO and I've raised over $500 million for my own uh, startups. And that that desire to you know still want to be the CEO and run the, at the end of the mm. day, the CEO is running the company. That's fine. Um, yeah. and, and they should stay that way. But this, the smart CEOs that I know these days are thinking strategically about where their money comes from uh, because it's not just money and they're looking to add people with different uh, things. For example, one company uh, I invest in, because I have a syndicate, um, you know, when uh, a CEO includes me as an investor, one of the things they get is exposure for their company to the 3,000 investors. And one company that I just invested in, there was a tier one VC, they had taken the entire round, but they invited me in and, and gave me a piece because the company was in private beta and they wanted to get users to add to their beta. And by sending it to my 3,000 investors, they actually got 4,000 users in their beta 
when they gave me a $200,000 piece of this $4 million round, which were 4,000 users they didn't get from the yeah. VC because the VC isn't going to deliver users. So intelligent CEOs should look and say, what does this invest, what could this investor potentially give me? If I'm looking for users and they have a lot of potential, you know, early adopter type users, I should include them as an investor. And that's what I think the CEOs should focus on is um, what, you know, you may not get all the value because every VC is going to say, you know, I bring all this value. Um, but um, you should at least try to think about it and, and create a, a network of uh, investors that have a high probability of, of adding additional value. Now, you don't want them to meddle and, and you know, CEOs should ask, uh, you know, should call other CEOs that the investor had invested in and ask them was oh, the person meddling tip. thing. And I, I'm not a meddler. I am, you know, really trying to add value. And if I'm not adding value, the CEO should tell me to shut the hell up. Um, and and <laughs> yeah. CEOs will talk, and this is all a reputation business. Yeah. Um, you know, you you should call your references on your investors, just like you would on a hiring a a person uh, for your company. Yeah. But that's interesting, isn't it? Because very few people feel that they should do that due diligence the other way. You should. Yeah. They you you always know the investors are going to do their due diligence but very few people because they're just handing out and just got their hands out for the money they don't do that due diligence they might you, do the financial due diligence but they don't do the how does this person have an impact on business i think that's a great tip yeah yeah if you're raising money call and due diligence on your investors and be intelligent yeah. about who you take <laughs> yeah so you've given us um, an idea of where to go. So just give us the Twitter uh, handle and the uh, the website for the blog again. Yeah, the Twitter handle is Martin G. Tobias, and the blog is www.incisive.vc. Great. Okay, well, and we'll make sure, sure they're in the show notes as, as well. So I don't I ask this, actually, because you've given us so much, Martin, as many of our guests do, but you've given us heaps and heaps of tips and advice but thinking about people generally that might be listening to this they they might not be looking for investment they might not be looking mm -hmm. to invest if you could give a person listening to this a, a tip or a lesson that might even be a bit of a life lesson something to to take away that they can do something with following this episode what would that be uh number one stay focused on what you can control don't worry about the opinions of others or politics or things outside your control. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes we have a whole book of second opinions, don't they? But either get in the way or, or they hold us back. So yeah, I think that's a great tip. So listeners yeah. take that one thing and do something with it, you know, be accountable and do something with that. So coming to the final question, Martin, just to wrap this up, if you were to have your next bulletproof coffee in a dream location, it sounds like you've been to some amazing locations but, um, of where you've lived and where you've worked and where you've traveled. So if you could have your next bulletproof coffee in a dream location, I'm going to give you a slightly different slant on this one as well. And you could have a great guest having or a great person, there, a hero of yours or somebody that you'd love to have coffee with with you. Where would it be and who would that person be? Um, it would probably be in Hawaii where I could mountain bike and surf 
Okay. And it would uh, probably be somebody like Elon Musk, who I've had coffee with once. Have really? Right. Okay. Well, yeah. there's a subject for another podcast then. <laughs> Great. Uh, and it's interesting what you say about the, the mountain biking and surfing. I've always wanted to go to New Zealand because I love skiing. Sure. Uh, and I had a, a guy who used to work for me and he would send me a message in the morning that he was skiing up in the mountains and then in the afternoon he'd be surfing on the beach. Sure. Uh, so, awesome. yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great comparison. Well, Martin, you've been a, a great guest. I'm glad we managed to make this happen. You've given us some amazing tips. Listeners, your responsibility now, whether you're thinking of investing, whether you're looking for investment or whether you just out there trying to make a success of life and business and you take that one tip of being focused uh, and you know how you look at other people's opinions the most important thing is you do something with what you've heard today if it makes an impact if it makes a difference then please leave us a review of this podcast because both martin and i would love to know that we've made a difference to you by listening to this episode and that's that's what we ask and that's the best that we can hope for as well Thank you very much for your time, Martin. It's really appreciated. And uh, thanks for sharing so much in today's podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Simon. It's been great. And listeners, as you know, this is part of my mission to help you be better aware, better educated and held accountable. And I think we've had that in absolute bucket loads today. And I hope you do something with it. And let us have a review. And I'll see you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you. Thank you.